0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Her Money is made possible by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're encouraging you to always be in the front seat when it comes to your money. Discover how at fidelity.com slash front seat. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. So, the Thanksgiving before this Thanksgiving, I was at my cousin's house in Philadelphia and my uncle had I'm going to get these ages wrong, but I believe my uncle had turned 80 and my aunt had turned almost 80 and they had hit a milestone anniversary. And there kids, my first cousins, had decided that they were going to get their story down on tape. And they hired a crew and they spent hours and hours and hours going over the family photos and putting together this essentially life story on videotape, that at this Thanksgiving dinner, we all sat down and we couldn't watch the whole thing because it did go on quite a while, but we watched a good part of it. And I just thought, how incredibly wonderful, not just for my cousins, but for their kids and for their eventual grandkids to have something like this. Makes me want to do it with my own mother, and it leads me to talking about my guest today. So Patty Sellers is with me in the studio and many people know Patty because she is quite legendary. She is the co-founder of the Fortune Most Powerful Women Conference Enterprise. Let's just cut to the chase. If you talk to people about Fortune MPW, they all think Patty is Fortune MPW. She's also an incredible reporter and writer and journalist, has spent almost three decades, more than three decades, at Fortune magazine. I have seen her in conversation with Meg Whitman and Melinda Gates and Katie Korek. And this year, Patty and one of her colleagues, Nina Easton, who also has been at the helm of the MPW and on the masthead high on the masthead at Fortune, started a new company called Sellers Easton Media, and they are using all of their combined journalistic expertise to help real people tell their stories. And so I just think that's fascinating. I thought it would be great for all of us to hear from Patty about MPW, about all the amazing women that she's interviewed and what she's learned from them, but also about this new chapter. So welcome. Thank you,
2: Jean. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And that was a beautiful introduction. And may I just say that telling your story, sharing your story, passing it on is the most generous gift that you can give. I think that's right. And it's also potentially the most valuable because all sorts of studies show that the number one block that prevents wealth from being passed from generation to generation properly is communication. So if you don't communicate well with your children, your grandchildren, and enable them to communicate well with their next generations your wealth is probably not going to be sustainable.
1: Well, I think, too, in this time where it's very difficult to get a group of younger people to even sit down at a dinner table without a device in their hands, the stories that we perhaps learn from our parents as kids are not getting shared in the same
2: way. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, everybody is... Uh, you know, frankly, I think there's a sort of shortage of enjoying life for enjoying the moment for the moment. You know, everybody wants to take a selfie of the moment or take a picture of the moment. But there are so many images and so much media out there. Now, you talked about watching your This story of this family story in Philadelphia, and we couldn't watch the the whole thing because it was it was was long. long. (laughs) The value of an editor. Yes, this is what we do. Also, we not only produce the content but we edit it because I've spent over thirty years. Gene, you were sort of giving me giving me a little leeway there. I am older than you think, but I've been at for i thirty three years at Fortune. And the interesting thing is, you're still
1: there. I mean you're you stayed you and Nina both stayed and so this is you launched a business but in a way it's a side hustle
2: well, okay. So this is, we did stay and it was two years ago, actually. It's just going on two years that we, um, started. So we started Sellers East in media last year. And when we, with great trepidation, went to the powers that be at Fortune and the parent company, Time Inc. and told them, We we're we're going to start a business. Their first question was, What is the business? Their second question was, How much of you can we keep? And we agreed to stay on, to continue overseeing the Fortune Most Powerful Women events and Nina is a is a is a co chair of the Fortune Global Forum as well. But We stopped writing because basically we have transferred our storytelling and our content creation skills from the public market, so to speak, for Fortune magazine, telling stories for the world, to the private market. Because today, with countless media platforms, digital media platforms, including this podcast, you can reach the audience that you want to reach Every which way, yeah, and we help you do that. And what was missing in this market was professional storytellers, people who want to do this. They might not want their story in Fortune magazine or any magazine because they're private people,
1: but, but they, they want, want to pass it along. To
2: help them tell it, and they might want to just give it to their kids. I know
1: that this is something you were thinking about for a very long time, and you said, the good girl in you prevented you from taking the leap. Explain. Oh, it
2: did. It did. You know, I I I have come, having interviewed and studied women leaders for over 20 years now, I speak about women and what makes leaders successful and what makes women leaders successful. And we have generally, we women who are successful, most of us were the good girls growing up. Mm-hmm. If you ask a bunch of very successful men, CEOs, whatever, Fortune 500 male, for Fortune 500 CEOs, I bet not all of them were the good boys.
1: Oh, I'm sure not all of them. I mean, I think of my own father and, and my grandmother always would say that she spent more time in the principal's office or in his high school than he did. Yes,
2: So we grew up being obedient and loyal. Mm -hmm. And so I came to Fortune magazine two years out of college. And, I mean, quite honestly, I kind of lucked out. We started this franchise called Most Powerful Women in 1998. It's almost 20 years old now, and I was one of the co-founders, and I rode that train very successfully. But I really thought... What if I leave? Ooh, you know, who's going to take it over? And I felt not, I mean, it was, I guess, probably a little bit of an ego thing, but it was a, it was a loyalty thing. And I also thought, like, I mean, I think subliminally, like they're not going to like me very much yeah. if I'm not obedient. So I struggled with this for years.
1: What made you finally do it?
2: Well, <laughs> I mentioned the idea to Nina Easton, my good friend Nina Easton at Fortune, and she said, that is a fantastic idea. I'd love to do it with you. So I found a partner. I had no desire to start a business by myself. But I don't know, She, I, I talked to enough friends and... And I know a lot of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, a lot of women entrepreneurs who, um, you know, from Sheryl Sandberg on down, who, who, who said, Patty, you can do this. And it is the best decision I ever made. And I, I have kept one foot in fortune and I bristled a little bit, Jean, when you said that. Sellers Eastern Media is a side gig. It's not. It is my main gig.
1: And Fortune is now your side gig. It is
2: the side gig.
1: I mean, I left Money Magazine not by choice 10 years ago when uh, they decided that they were in a round of cost cutting. They had to push me out the door Hmm. because I was terrified to be in an environment where I was responsible for the benefits and I was responsible for the health plan and I had to figure it all out and hire people without a net. And it's been terrific. I would not go back.
2: I would not go back either. And I bet it was a little bit harder back then because, first of all, I don't think you had all the role models, the sort of startup, successful startup role models that I have had. I mean, 10 years, we've made a lot of progress in terms of You can put up a shingle and you're global in an instant because your first customer may be from India. I mean, I got to tell you, we launched in March of 2016. Fortune very kindly did a story about our launch. You know, very objective. They interviewed us. We had no idea what was coming. It was a very good story. A guy in India emailed us on our website, and he said, I read the story that Fortune did about you. I grew up outside of Delhi. From the age of 12, I read every issue of Fortune magazine. I've always wanted to be interviewed by Fortune. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to talk to you. Now... We are doing a huge multimedia project for this guy. This guy is 40 years old. He's a very successful entrepreneur who divides his time between Delhi and London, and he's a social good kind of entrepreneur. So quite frankly, we were global overnight. That's amazing. That's amazing. I want to talk more about
1: the women that you've come into contact with over the years at MPW. But before I do that, let me just remind everybody her money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Our shared mission is to get All of you talking about money and inspiring you to be in the financial front seat always. Whether you're just entering the workforce, running a business, taking a break to raise a family, getting ready to retire, or setting forth on your next career adventure, Fidelity has tools and resources that can help you understand where you stand today and help you get where you want to go. Discover more at fidelity.com slash front seat. And speaking of resources for women, here's another great podcast from KALW in San Francisco and PRX, Inflection Point with Lauren Schiller. If the end of 2017 taught us anything, it's that we need to have some tough conversations about what women are up against right now and what to do about it. And this is a show about how women rise up. Lauren listens to women who are knocking on doors and breaking them down, who act when something is just not right, and who even find joy in resistance. From activists and experts to policymakers and authors, you'll hear honest, powerful stories and come away with ideas that you can apply to your own life. These are the tough conversations women are having, but everyone needs to hear. To hear how women rise up, find inflection point with Lauren Schiller on Apple Podcasts, Radio Public and PR1 and all the podcatchers. We're talking with Patty Sellers of Sellers Eastern Media and Fortune Magazine. You have interviewed hundreds of the most powerful women in the world when it comes to leadership what's the most valuable lesson that you've learned for today
2: I'm very big on not planning your career, uh, especially today, because the world is more fast-changing and unpredictable than ever. Um, many years ago, I started talking about thinking of your career as a jungle gym rather than a ladder. The idea is that if you think of your career as a ladder, you have one rung to look up to, and that may not be a stable rung. You need to think broadly about opportunity. You need to have sharp peripheral vision. You need to possibly swing to opportunities that are on the left or on the right, and actually maybe a little bit of a rung down. Mm-hmm. And i found that women... I think this is a good philosophy for a career philosophy for anyone today. It's been particularly effective for women. A lot of women who have been on our, on Fortune's Most Powerful Women list over the years have had the need because we still live in a world where a woman's resume has to be a little bit broader and deeper than a man's resume for her to get that CEO job. Women have had the need to sort of fill out mm-hmm. her her resume with, oh, she's run a manufacturing business. She's run a digital business. So taking that side job, thinking of it horizontally has been a real key to getting some of these women into CEO positions, you know. Mary Barra ran uh business units and P&Ls, and she ran HR at General Motors before she became CEO. I mean, she understood that organization culturally, and that's not a bad thing. You know, like, you know, women have traditionally been pigeonholed in, in HR, but if you're going to be a CEO today, don't be afraid of those staff jobs.
1: For our younger listeners who do aspire to these big jobs – Is there,
2: without trying to plan it out, is there a path that you can somewhat chart? Um, I don't think there is a path you can chart. I think flexibility and adaptability are the most important qualities to have. They're kind of the same thing. You need to be super attuned to opportunity and you have to take the meeting. And the kind of worst thing that you can do today is sort of burrow into, you have to pay attention to the job at hand. But you can't kind of have your nose in the ground. Um, there is so much opportunity today to connect with people and reach out to people. So flexibility, adaptability, connectivity is kind of the, the formula and the path. I'm thinking of like, um, You know, it's, it's like a, it's like a map with many roads and you need to be ready to, to take road A or B or C. And I'm not sure which road I'm going to take next year, but I need to be open to all of them.
1: How about financially? I mean, as we've watched women make some strides, we're still talking about a salary gap that's almost as wide as ever.
2: Oh, we are. We are. Um, I mean, you know, it's both a systemic problem and it's a personal problem. I think Sheryl Sandberg's lean in message still applies. Women do not ask for raises, ask for opportunities as much as men do. Women think that they need, we need to be more prepared before we are ready for the big job. Jean, I can't tell you how many of the Fortune Most Powerful Women, the 50 Most Powerful business women in America, have told me how much they have doubted their qualifications for a promotion. Ginny Rometty, the CEO of IBM, has doubted her, you know, over the years. So many of them. You know, there's sort of a debate between people, uh, mostly women, who are authorities on like the pay gap. Okay, is it? the companies, is it the system that's at fault? Or are we just not asking for enough? It's both.
1: Yeah, it's both. It's absolutely both.
2: And I just I mean I'm sometimes I don't know if criticized is the is the right word, but I think look down upon a little bit because I believe that we will never have parity at the top in terms of position or pay. Because Women just, it's just not in our nature to ask for as much. We don't think about, I was down, I was interviewing a financial CEO today and we were talking about a woman, um, a woman, a woman, a, a top woman in business. And we were talking about, she's worked with a lot of women entrepreneurs and we were talking about why women start businesses and why men start businesses Number one reason men start businesses. To make money. To make a lot of money. Number one reason women start businesses. To create the companies that they would like to work for. It's very different. And quite honestly, you know, here I've moved my main job out of a big company, Time Incorporated, and started a business. Do I want to build a Fortune 500 company? No. I have no desire to. I'd like to make a lot of money, but I want to enjoy what I'm doing. Do guys say that? I don't think so. I, don't I mean think some so. guys say some it. Some guys but... say it, but they're sort of a sort of a rare breed. So, I don't, you know, I fine to aspire that we will sometimes, someday have 250 female Fortune 500 CEOs and we will be paid equally. But I think to the extent that women think about power more horizontally than men do, it's much more about influence and it's about having satisfaction in many parts of our lives and to the degree that men think about power vertically. And it's about Making the million and having the corner office and having the big title. Not all men, it's a stereotype, but it's a stereotype grounded in reality. I just think it's and I, I sort of think we need to accept that, you know, it's it's okay.
1: Well I've gotta say, having been to Fortune MPW, to the most powerful women's conference. I think I would much rather be in a room with the most powerful women than with the most powerful men. I mean, you leave that conference feeling energized and inspired and having made actual friends and not just connections. And I think that is an unusual
2: thing, but something that I don't think would happen the same way with a group of guys in the same room. Thank you. And I agree. And what we've found with our Most Powerful Women community members uh, and Summit attendees is they are so eager to learn about life, work, careers outside of their silos. Like the banker wants to learn about the theater producer. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the head of the manufacturing company wants to hear about the the woman in sports. And there's just like, there's a curiosity to, and that's sort of a horizontal thing yeah, too. Absolutely. Well, more to
1: come. I'm so excited for your next chapter. I'm sorry I said it was a side gig. And, um, <laughs> and I hope that you'll come back and tell us more stories. Thank you so much,
2: Gene. Thanks, it's been Patty. A pleasure.
1: We have put together a love and money quiz. We're going to release the results on the show in a couple of weeks, but we need all of you to take it. So you can find the love and money quiz link in the description for this show. It's also pinned to the top of my Twitter and my Twitter handle for the record is at Jean Chatsky. Take it, share it with your friends, spread it around, and we will report back on what the results say and kelly has joined me in the studio hi jean we have questions
0: to yes, answer we do. our first question is from jennifer she writes is buying an extended warranty on a new car we paid cash for a good idea i just bought a new car and did buy the extended warranty for a thousand seven hundred that covers the car for 10 years and one hundred twenty-five thousand miles we can cancel it at any time and get the prorated value back what should she do
1: i'd cancel and the reason that i would cancel is, first of all, on any new car these days, you're probably going to get a decent amount of protection to begin with. So chances are pretty good you don't even need it for the first four years and 50,000 miles. I don't know what kind of car you bought, but it could be even longer than that. And Consumer Reports has done a lot of work on extended warranties. And what they found is that with new cars in particular, People do not get their money back. Some people end up filing claims, but even when they do file claims, it isn't for the amount that they paid. And so you're probably better off just putting the money in an emergency cushion and knowing that that $1,700 is there if you need to use it to fix your car. When it's a used car, you're not exactly sure of how that car was treated before you owned it. And the statistics on usage of those warranties does go up. It doesn't always make sense to buy them even in those
0: cases, but I just wanted to throw that caveat out there. Now one from Cynthia, I'm on a repayment plan for a medical bill. The bill is now down to $493 and they want to settle it for $394. If I accept this amount, will it hurt my credit more or less than just staying an additional four months on my repayment schedule? It should not hurt your credit at all. Just make sure that you
1: get in touch with the biller and have them make a note that this was paid in full. That needs to be reflected on your credit report, whether you pay it off over the four months or whether you pay it off immediately. I'm all for saving yourself some additional money and paying it off. Just make sure that that note is on your
0: credit report. You can pull your credit report yourself and you can check. That makes a lot more sense because I was confused if they're offering to do this, then I was wondering how it could possibly even impact her score. But well, that's it. It's not if it's not recorded and it looks like she hasn't paid it in full. Exactly. OK. And we'll do one more from Ellen. I'd like my 27 year old son to start investing and saving for retirement. I would, too, by the way, like your 27 year old <laughs> son to start investing and saving for retirement. What can you recommend for him to put away uh, maybe one hundred dollars a month?
1: do it automatically, make it easy. Here's the thing. If he has decided that he's going to put away $100 a month and he doesn't put that $100 a month on automatic pilot, he's going to put away $100 this month and maybe next month. And then by March, he is going to be off the reservation and putting that money towards something else. So have the money come out of his checking account right after he gets paid Put it into a Roth IRA, as long as he's got the income to support it. Invest the money in a very broad, diversified portfolio, a couple of index funds maybe, or a target date fund, and go from there. And that's really all you have to do. Great. Thank you, Jean. Thank you so much. And to round out this show on powerful women, we've got some exciting new data. It comes from our sponsor, Fidelity, but it shows the number of women with a million or more in retirement savings has doubled doubled over the last 12 years. Cue Beyonce. We should have some Beyonce playing in the background here. So what can we learn from these super savers? Well, first, many of them took full advantage of matching dollars in their workplace retirement plans, and they saved more of their salaries percentage-wise than men did on average. Second, and this is really good for everyone to hear, some of these women- achieved this seven-figure status with salaries of less than $150,000 annually. That is huge. And keep listening. You know how women are characterized to be more risk-averse than men are? Well, the women who achieved millionaire status and who earned less than that $150,000 are are investing in stocks in a very similar fashion to men. They held about 77% of their savings and investments in stocks on average versus 76% for men, let me just point out, one point higher for the women. And most of these women saved over a period of three decades, letting time and compound interest work in their favor. So if you haven't started, it's time to get going. Just FYI, Tara Siegel Bernard of the New York Times, she wrote a terrific column on this research. It is worth a read. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Patty Sellers for the terrific conversation. It was great to see you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Let me just stop a second and talk about the fact that I always ask you for reviews. Reviews are just one way that other people decide that they want to give her money a listen. And so if you're a regular listener of this show, chances are it's for a reason. We would love you to share that reason, not just with your friends, but with the people who read reviews so that they can happen on it as well. We want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Of course, our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX, and we record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios in New York City. Join us next week when we'll be back with positive psychology experts and author of the new book, Happy Together, using the science of positive psychology to build love that lasts.